what type of encouragement will I want to give Christians in general? I'll say, be Christ-like. Yeah. Either you are Pentecostal, you are Catholic, you are whatever. If you say you are a Christian, it means Christ-like, someone who behaves like Christ. Yeah, and it all comes down to, to the one law, which is the greatest, regardless of what book you read, is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. That is it. Yeah, that sums it up. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fambat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African podcast. And I am your host, Anya Fambat. So we are rounding up the month of June, which is Pride Month. And I have here with me Mr. John Adewoye, who is a very prominent member of the LGBTQ community who will be here to give us another perspective about, you know, the LGBTQ community. Now, again, I just wanted to, you know, address this I would not say issue. I just wanted to address this point, you know, and really assert why it's extremely important for us to have these conversations. I am fully aware based off of, you know, last year's experience with during Pride Month, where we had four episodes and we brought other members of the LGBTQ community. And I had mentioned that in our last LGBTQ related episode, which was the first week of June. And I indicated that I am fully aware that this is still a very uncomfortable conversation that, you know, especially members of the African community, you know, tend to have. Not many people really get to talk about this conversations or talk about, you know, various values and principles of the LGBTQ community, because a majority of Africans actually do not even believe in that. And they do not support that as well. But whether we believe in it or support it or not, there is a fact that members of our LGBTQ community are here to stay. And you will be surprised that those members could easily be the closest people to you and the family. And you just don't know that. So We also should have known by now that these same members, especially in the black and or African community, have been the most marginalized. And there is an extremely high rate of suicidal attempts or even suicidal. There's a high rate of suicide in this community. And also there's a high rate of mental health issues in this community, in our community. And I would only imagine that that definitely stems from the fact that 
a majority of members of this community are not accepted and they're basically chastised for who they are. And I just wanted to urge all of us to know that these people, first and foremost, are human beings just like us and just like everyone else. And their values and their rights and the way they live their life also matters as much as ours. So it is our duty, though we may not accept or support, it's our duty to educate ourselves so that we can respect them. Because regardless of our beliefs, we must respect them. First and foremost, as humans, we must respect one another. And also, we must try to learn about them and know them in order to know how to interact with them, in order to know how to show empathy, in order to know how to treat them as we would love to be treated. So that is one of the main reasons in addition to several other reasons as to why I feel like it's very important to have this conversation. So I really want to welcome you here, Mr. John Adewoye. I am extremely honored to have you on this platform. I am extremely excited as well to get to really know and further talk about your story, talk about your life and everything that you have done. So I want to welcome you to Living African Podcast. How are you doing today, sir? Thanks for bringing me up to this podcast, Ayan. I appreciate your interest in my life, in the life of LGBT as a whole. Today, I'm doing fine. I'm very excited to, to be part of your podcast because I know the goal is for education of people. Yes. Thank you so much. Now, let's just get straight to it, right? Tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Who really are you, first and foremost? My name is John Adewoye, as the, you listener must have heard about half a dozen times since we started this podcast. <laughs> and I am a Nigerian. I'm from Kwara State in Nigeria, from one of the famous towns in Kwara, named Uru. I'm the fourth child of my parents, Two boys, two girls. The girls were the first set, and uh, I am the last of the four of us. And I've lived most of my past 20 years or 20 years plus in the United States of America as a gay activist, which I find interesting, I find exciting, I find painful, and I find hopeful as yeah. well. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for that introduction. And so, you know, I cannot imagine all the experiences that you have had in your life, especially when it comes to identifying as a gay man. Now, especially because you were basically the generation of my parents, I think you should be in your 60s, like we had spoken before, right? Yeah, I'll be 63 next month, actually. Right, right. So I'm old. <laughs> well, you look good, I must add, you know. So, Thank you know, you. in Africa, you know, especially back then, it was extremely rare to find someone in our parents' generation that identified as, you know, LGBTQ, basically. So I really am interested in hearing about your experiences because 
you know, I have briefly spoken to you before and your story was very mind blowing. Now, how was your life back in Nigeria? When did you come to the United States of America? I came to the United States of America in 1999. Uh, I left Nigeria 13th of December. I landed 14th of December here in the United States of America. Uh, right. Back home in Nigeria, I was a Catholic priest. Wow. Uh, as a Catholic priest, I was well known. I, was, I wasn't the most brilliant or uh, the most influential or anything, but I was well known. Uh, I, I had a good chance in my own home diocese to occupy different positions, and uh, I did my work diligently. Right. But in doing all these, what really led me to become uh, to the Catholic priesthood? Well, the first thing was that my family is Catholic. My hometown is about nine. I would say ninety-five percent, if not more, Catholic. And I've lived and seen priests all around me, but I had no intention of becoming a priest initially. As a kid, I was more interested in becoming a nun. A reverend sister. And oh, wow. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, no, boys don't be reverend sisters. Boy becomes a prince. And at a point, I forgot about everything completely until it was a kind of clear choice for me. If I take it, it was a conscious choice for me. Right. To go into the junior seminary, which was like high school. Because of my experiences while I was in elementary school, it was traumatic. They called me girl. And uh, not only did the other boys call me girls, they also tried to, you know, how men like to dominate women. Yeah. Thinking, okay, women are weaker sex. And therefore, in my own case, they challenged me to fight constantly. Wow with name calling and almost all the time I had to fight myself from in the school and in the in the village. I got beaten a number of times. I beat other people a number of times. And that really made me feel cool might not be my own thing. So I didn't want to go to school. Mm. After elementary school, I was like, I just couldn't go through this again. But as it is, we our parents in the in those days in the in the seventies, no, no one asked questions. Yeah, they choose for the children. Children don't That's choose true. for them. That's true. Uh, so, but when I, I just didn't want to go to school. My dad one day was so fed up with that. He was trying. He tried his best to hide it from my sister, my elder sister, who was very particular about us. At least go to high school. Mm -hmm. He hid it for quite a while. I don't know what the discussions was among them, but I succeeded in staying home and staying with my sister for a year. Yeah. But before that happened, there was a day my dad called me before I left my parents to stay with my sister in Lagos, my dad was like, now you don't want to go to school. You'll be the only different boy in the whole family. What what in life do you really want to do? And I went before him. I did my hand like this and I I played with my fingers and through (laughs) 
something to the left and he got it. I wanted to be a typist. Hmm. My dad didn't take kindly to that. So what was bad about being a typist, like a typewriter, right? Oh, yeah. Well, typists in those days are like uh, assistant, like, like secretary. secretary. Yeah. For me, I just love it. There was a woman in my village, the only typist we had, Mrs. Oloni Shomo. Mm-hmm. She was she, the same age mate with my first sister. They are all in their late 70s now. She was the typist to the Reverend Sisters, and my dad worked there. And I so much loved the way she sits by the typewriter mm-hmm. and the way she types away. I just loved the whole feminine aspect of it. Mm. I couldn't really pinpoint it out, but that was a major attraction for me. Mm-hmm. So my dad was against that, and he he missed no word to call it out as a money-day's job. And what a does that mean? Is this Mrs. Oloni Shomo. Mm-hmm. And she was the only typist we had in the village that time. So why, why would you want to do her job? Why is it that what the girls or what the what women like to do is what you like to do? Yeah. What type of boy are you? No wonder they call you girl in school. And that was a kind of shocker for me because I didn't know he noticed that uh, the other kids call me girl. In my own language, they call me Oberin, which in English is a, a girl. girl, feminine. And that was a shocker for me. And uh, eventually I went to stay with my sister in Lagos. And the first thing she told me was, since I still had to take entrance examinations mm-hmm. to secondary schools, back home in our own state, she said I should enroll in a typing school. Hmm. I was excited and I never asked the question whether my dad spoke to her or how she came to that conclusion. Yeah. I did that. Then after that, my journey to high school started. And when I had the opportunity of going to the seminary high school, that was where I went because I kind of believe in my mind that there will be no bullying, there will be no name calling, there will be no fighting there. Yeah. Um, different from government school or other school. And that was how I started my journey to the Catholic priesthood. Right. So the Catholic priesthood was like a refuge to you. Yes. Seminary became a refuge for me. The high school seminary became a refuge for me. The same thing when it got to finally deciding what really Cali Priesthood became a, a refuge for me. Right. So, I mean, whew, that must have been really tough, even though, you know, it was kind of a refuge for you. By then, did you know what, this may sound like a ignorant question, but it's actually a very fair question when you look at it, and I would explain why. You know, by then, did you even know what it meant to be gay? Because I know back in the day, you know, when I look back, there are a lot of people that, you know, probably had attraction to the same sex, but they didn't even know what it was. They, they couldn't put a name to it. 
if that makes sense. It's just the same as, you know, I've had conversations with a lot of people who were like sexually molested and raped, but they didn't even know that they were raped because they didn't like they didn't have that education, that sex education to really identify that, okay, this is rape or this is sexual harassment. So back then, like, even though you saw yourself as a girl per se, like you were attracted to the things that were feminine, I could also say that it could be the same as a girl who's a tomboy, right? Who is attracted to things that is, you know, a male, but they don't necessarily end up being lesbian. It's just a phase. So was that something that you identified like, okay, I'm attracted to the same sex or you were just doing the things that pleased you in terms of the things that you admired about women and stuff like that? So like, is there any time that you realize that, okay, this is what I'm attracted to and, you know, this is what it is because it must have really been very tough for you to be a priest. And I mean, I don't know like some of the things that it took to be a priest in terms of like the vows that you have to make and stuff like that. But it mm-hmm. must, I mean, we could talk about that briefly as well, but it must have been really like, it must have been a very dark closet that you were in, you know, trying to live up to those vows at the same time not only attracted to the woman per Christian and African traditional principles, but you were actually attracted to a man. So how was that whole experience and dilemma for you? Actually, growing up, I never, especially in elementary school, I never gave it any definition. Hmm. Even though when I was approaching 10, between 10 and 11 years of my life, I knew I had this crush on another guy, a boy of my age, and the two of us kind of blend mm-hmm. body. We blend and uh, we, we, we were intimate, mm. even sexually. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was no issue of penetration or anything, but when it comes to holding, when it comes to practicing, kissing, when it comes to you know, treasuring each other, we were close. Yeah. At the same time, that time, I had no name for what was going on hmm. until I got to high school. And uh, going to the seminary high school, I met other boys like me. Yeah. And uh, it became very interesting. We, those of us who identify ourselves, even though then we never spoke about what this meant, but we, the, the aspect of our intimacy was very different a sexual turn of boys who are now in age of puberty, a, a different tones of affections, and then people come, people go, and at that time still, I did not really give any definition to, I did not name it in any way yeah. until it was towards the end of my time in the seminary school, the high school, seminary. It was then I really named it. It was then I also made a decision that for me to, I knew then in, in short, seriously, that I had no attraction for women. And if I did not go on to become a priest, I'll eventually find myself in marriage with a, with a woman. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking of what the implication could be for this woman. All I thought about that time was, I just don't want that. 
And apart from thinking about me not wanting that, I felt the fact that my nature as a Catholic on the path to the priesthood, I felt that God deliberately made me this way. Right. So that I could be a good fit for the Catholic ministry uh, as a priest. But deep down, too, I know that, no, I don't want to commit myself to any woman. And if I pursue the priesthood, that would be eliminated from my part of life. I wouldn't have to make that choice. Right. So talk about commitment, right? Now, while being a priest, I am not too versed with Catholicism, but I know that and correct me if I'm wrong, I know that you have to commit to celibacy, commit to like basically sacrificing your sense of attraction or even your intention to marry women or men, whatever, you know, just to basically you have to sacrifice your commitment to a partner. So basically you have to be single and your commitment solely has to be to God you know, and not a partner of any sex or any background. So like, how did you feel knowing that as a priest, you still had that attraction to, it doesn't even matter if it was a man or woman, you still had that attraction in terms of like, you still had that interest. And how does it, how does it work? Like, what are the repercussions for things like that? And are there instances where like you have priests who just say, okay, I don't want to be a priest anymore because I want to get married and things like that? Answering the call to the ministry through Catholic Church wasn't just a matter of abstaining from marriage. Celibacy is not just about not getting married. It is about not having sex yeah. at all. Yeah, rightfully so. Yeah. And uh, well, let me just put this up front. I was never, I, I, I never considered myself celibate. Even though I took that vow, mm. I did not consider myself celibate because I was sexually active as a priest. I don't want to speak for other priests, but I know it is a general uphill task for many priests yeah. to stay celibate. Yeah. Uh, of course, I'm not going to dabble into the origin of celibacy, why the church adopted it here. At the same time, I know that the church by now is aware of the, the enormous uh, problem created by insisting on celibacy in priesthood. Yeah. yeah. So I was not a celibate. And it just breeds a kind of hypocrisy. People know as it, it is in uh, around me that time. Many people, many parishioners don't see me with girls. Mm-hmm. But you so weren't even supposed was, to be with anybody, girl or boy, had, right? That was the expectation. I had, I had men in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was no... Just that will also show you how, how invisible yeah. being gay was to the people, yeah. at least at yeah. that time. Yeah, it wasn't even something the that... Invisibility the invisibility could either be because they don't want to talk about it. Yes. Which no, only two women spoke about that with me in life. They, in the church, they came, one came and said, you know, I know I, 
I know I know your type. Your type don't like women. Right. The first person said it. Some years after, the another person also said it. I know your type. And probably I did not ask them any question, but they just told me they know my type. My type don't like women. Mm-hmm. Well, because they've seen probably seen other priests who really struggle with the attraction to women, and that one easily catches attention of the parishioner. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I saw this lady there yesterday. She was there again today. There, something must be going on. Right, but they right. couldn't pin me with mm-hmm. uh, any of that. And mm-hmm. these two women just came one after the other from years apart to let me know that they know my type. I did not ask them what's my type and why they came up with that. I did not ask that I knew what they were talking about. Right. So you were a very impactful priest, regardless, in your community, based on my conversation I had with you earlier. Yeah. It seemed like you did so much for the community and everyone looked up to you with so much high regard. Now, why did you give up your priesthood? I mean, like, what was the reason that you told the people that you were giving up your priesthood? Well, let me first of all say this. I owe no one explanation for giving up the priesthood. Okay. I leave that between myself and God. Okay. But for my family, I made it clear to them. Mm-hmm. After all, I was not celibate. The initial thing I told them was that I wasn't keeping the law of celibacy. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I want to be free. But why did I give up the priesthood eventually? It wasn't just a matter of not keeping the law of celibacy. Because some of my that my two sisters expected me to get married as some people who have left the priesthood did. And then I, instead of getting married to a woman, I one day brought a man to the house. Well, mm. Why did I eventually leave the priesthood? Let's go back to that. Yeah. I had no intention of leaving the priesthood. I came to the U.S. because I was struggling with my sexuality. I came to the U.S. because I had the programs here that could turn me to a straight guy. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That was one of the reasons I came to the U.S. And I had the opportunity of taking a year sabbatical from priesthood after my 10th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And then I, I came here. Then I got here and I discovered that such program does not exist. Instead, there, there, there were programs that really gave me a clear insight to my personality, like I've ever seen myself before. Hmm. Programs that gave me peace within than I had ever had before as a gamer. Right. One of such programs was run by the Catholic Church here in Chicago. Oh. Yeah. They call it the Astrazian Gay and Lesbian Outreach. The church encourages priests, and most of the priests they encourage to interact with this group are gay themselves, whom they know. It means there's this recognition for the gay priests here, there's this recognition for people who are gay and lesbians and other people who have other different level of you know, sexual orientation. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't existing back home in Africa. So I thought about it. When I came out, I informed my bishop that I want to return home and start a ministry for this group. My own home bishop then 
just did not see. The fact that I even came out to him, first of all, became an issue. And uh, when it got to, okay, if I come home, I want to do this, that was becoming another issue. I approached another bishop who said, yeah, we could do that, because then again, I discovered a sizable population of LGBT yeah. at Abuja, and the bishop of Abuja at that time said, yeah, we could do that. He gave me his word. Then he went to Nigeria. He came back. I drove from Chicago. I met him in New York. And then he told me, you have to constitute some advisors to advise him on this issue. And when, that, when he came up with that, I just knew there was no way there because I don't know. I've seen the, also that time I saw the way some priests who are known to be gay were treated. Yeah, and also it's illegal in Nigeria as well, so. Oh yeah, it was around that time, 2010, 2012, that they started the persecution of LGBT too. Yeah. People were being attacked here and there, and uh, they, they wouldn't, you know, it was clear that if I should go back, I won't be able to perform the ministry I had wanted to. If I stayed as a priest here, they wouldn't accept me. And yeah. I just wanted a kind of freedom to be able to do what I believe will be my last gospel to perform on the last pupil of my life, which yeah. is you know to support, to serve, to listen, and provide whatever I can for people who share my sexual orientation for all others who are also struggling yeah. sexually like me in a hostile society like ours. Yeah. Because even America is not heaven when yeah. it comes to it's not. People are still getting not, used to it to here. Yeah. And same sex marriage was just legalized. Not even I don't even think it's up to it's probably barely a decade ago, so th- people are still getting used to it. I think it was uh, 2016. I think it was under Obama's... Uh, 2014. Yeah, 14. Yeah, uh, so Obama it's barely 10 there. years. It's not even 10 years old. It's not even 10 years old. Yeah. So I really look forward to hearing about the work that you did when you came to America. But I just wanted to clarify something. And this is based on my own knowledge. And I actually read a book. Well, I didn't completely read the book, but it was this book by a gay priest, actually, who was writing about his own experiences. And I know you had mentioned about, you know, the program in Chicago that supports a gay priest and stuff like that. I just want to let people know that you can still be a priest and be gay or you can still be a priest and be heterosexual. I mean, it doesn't mean that you are necessarily even having a sexual encounter or it doesn't even mean that you're married or having relationships in contrary to the priesthood principles, basically. So you can still have same sex attraction as a priest or you can still have can still be a heterosexual priest it, but you know just by yourself as a priest to begin with considering the fact that taking away all the commitments that you have to have to celibacy you can naturally be attracted to a woman or a man so when they say a gay priest it doesn't mean a priest that's necessarily in a relationship because that would of course defy the commitment of you know celibacy and purity of the priesthood so i just wanted to um, uh, put that disclaimer they- even from the seminary, they let you know that taking a vow of celibacy 
does not take away your sexuality. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. And it, that is the reality. Vow of celibacy is human sexuality is natural. Vow of celibacy is something spiritual and created also by human beings. Mm-hmm. Because we have other churches that won't take the vow of celibacy. A Episcopal church does not impose the vow of celibacy. And they also have, like Catholic church, they have the apostolic succession, which means they, they are seen as genuine church. They, they have, the Orthodox church does not impose vow of celibacy. Yeah. In short, celibacy does not take away your sexuality. It it's, doesn't. It's, it's human-made. It could lead to some level of holiness. I don't know, but it just does not take away your sexuality. That's right. It did not take away my own sexuality. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you cannot be attracted to someone because we're humans, like you said, and we have natural attractions, you know. Now, when you came to America, tell us a couple of, like, basically a couple of stories or your experience with what you decided to do to save other members of the LGBTQ community or at least provide them a helping hand. Well, uh, coming to uh, America, after I left the priesthood, my mind was, I was more focused on running something like podcast, mm-hmm. preaching and talking to people, to educate the people back home. started uh, an organization called Courage Nigeria. Later on, I was told that I cannot use the word courage because some other organizations uh, have taken it before me. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of trying to figure that out, the pandemic of persecution started kind of across Africa. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that some people left Africa, mm-hmm. some ended up in U.S., and some ended up in Chicago looking for services to help them find a stay, looking for housing, looking for all the psychosocial amenities that would help them haven't escaped the trauma of the persecution back home yeah. to have a kind of settled life here in U.S. Yeah. So that started in 2005. I bought this house. Yeah. By 2006, I had my first guest here who happened to be a guy from Zambia who needed accommodation. And uh, I was by myself. So he had a room, and then after he left, then I had steady stream of African LGBT, two people from Middle East passed through this house, and others like that who had to, in the process of looking for accommodation, in mm-hmm. the process of looking for services, you know, came here. And that was how I started. Not only I did not touch the podcast. Yeah. I've not given up, but at that time, the influx of people, the services they needed was more urgent and very, very demanding. Right. Because I also had to do my daily work. You know, I was employed as a chaplain at the University of Chicago Hospital. Mm-hmm. I had to work and then also you know, help people find organizations that will help them with pro bono lawyer, why I house people who help us sometimes with 
food and all those things. I had to do that. Yeah. And uh, that one, I did that one for some years. For all I did that time, I've, I've received four awards. Yeah. <laughs> from different organizations, starting from the community of the people I helped then the Nigerian community in uh, LGBT community in New York. Mm-hmm. And then I was inducted to Chicago LGBT Hall of Fame in 2020. Yeah. And uh, this year I miraculously received Andriana Bluer Award for those who stepped up in a situation as I did for, yeah. for the vulnerable. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. So basically, I mean, as a priest, you serve the community through the church and even by yourself in America, you still served the community. So you basically never stop serving the community regardless of your sexual orientation or your background or your job or who anybody identified you as. And honestly, that's the message that I am interested in. That's the message that I would like to pass. And that's the picture that I want everybody else to see you as. Because when people take away all those name tags and take away all those other aspects that they use to identify people or they choose to identify people based on their beliefs, you know, we have to ask, what has this person done for humanity? You know, and that's actually where the essence of our existence comes from, what we can do for humanity. That's all that should matter at this point, you know, and because whatever we do for humanity impacts one another, like impacts all of us as a whole. Right. It makes the world a better place. But how you choose to identify your sexual background doesn't even impact my life. It doesn't impact anybody but you, you know, so there's no need for me to be too focused on your sexual orientation and ignore what you have done for the community and ignore what you have done for humanity. So I just want to thank you for that. And I also want to encourage members of our community to look at things in that light and not focus on the superficial aspects of things. I feel like when we take that time to really look deeper into who we are as humans and as people, we would tend to appreciate one another more than just looking at the surface at all the name tags and all the ways that we choose to identify one another. Now, Last year, when Billy Porter, I don't know if you know Billy Porter, he came out as, you know, well, he, he's always been gay, but he basically said, you know, on, I believe, Tamron Hall's show. I don't know if you know Tamron Hall as well. It's one of his talk shows. And he had disclosed that he was HIV positive, but he was focusing, well, there was a part that he was talking about, which really hit me. And considering the fact that you're a member of the LGBTQ community and also a former priest, you know, I feel like you could give great insight to this because he said that, you know, one of the first things that are typically taken away from the members of the LGBTQIA community is their spirituality. So in other words, just because they identify as members of the LGBTQIA, they are not worthy of being saved or they are not worthy of being a Christian or a Muslim or whatever, whatever their spirituality is, you know, basically that's like an unforgivable sin that, you know, hey, they are not worthy of even being part of the church community. So, I mean, I personally don't agree with that because I feel like we are all equal in the face of God and we are worthy regardless of how we live our lives or what we 
choose to do with their lives. Now, what do you think about that, especially with respect to the African community? You know, the problem of LGBT across Africa to the Middle East and Eastern Europe is religion created. It is doctrine created. I wouldn't even say religion. I would say it is more of doctrinally created. The problem we have across Africa, mm-hmm. either as Christians or Muslims, it is the teachings of the two major religions in Africa that made LGBT people outcast. And I've interacted with a number of pastors online who are LGBT and in various church organizations, but who are also in closet because of what they might experience. And I do tell myself, I think what some of them do, and I'm really impressed with what they do. And I tell myself, well, these are the so-called outcasts doing this wonderful work in the name of God in all these churches. Yeah. Who does not really know them and who will not sink their efforts if they were to be known. Whatever they must have done will be thrown away. Well, yeah. I wouldn't say I experienced that, but I know that when I came out, a number of people withdrew from me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that one, their actions did not uh, disturb me. But my sexual orientation, in a way, even as a priest, even though I was struggling with it, even though I didn't want to face it, even though I went to the extreme end of wanting to change it, helped me in my ministry to really understand what it means when I meet suffering and struggling parishioners or suffering and struggling families. Mm-hmm. Maybe the wife is accusing the husband of being promiscuous. Maybe the husband is accusing the wife of being promiscuous. Sometimes if they have their children, they will come up with one problem or the other. And the fact that I had my own struggle gave me a special air yeah. to be with these people and to journey with them and to let them know. Let them know. Sometimes we, we just have to we, we face all these things. It is not a matter of holiness but a matter of the reality of our human flesh. Yeah. So either I'm gay or straight, the most important thing for me is whatever I can do for humanity. And that is what I see many people in our LGBT who, are, who could be in authority try to do yeah. for the community based on the, their own limited reality. Right. As I said, the aspect of our abnormality was created by the doctrines of Islam and Christianity. So, of course, in Africa, people have really lost their sense of African tradition. Because yeah. if, if people tell you now that African tradition frowned on LGBT, you can easily ask them which of their own ancestors' traditions or religion spoke about LGBT people. At the end of the day, they end up with the Bible. And there's God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. 
and uh, Paul said this. Where, what did Jesus himself say about LGBT people? No, they have nothing to, because they didn't put anything down for Jesus against us. But a doctrine came eventually, especially imagine in Catholic Church, they, they, they regard my person as a intrinsically disordered. Hmm. And that word in particular, eventually when I read it and tried to interpret it, that was one of the reasons I found me to really start looking for how to make myself straight. And you can imagine how many people must have been damaged by that. Intrinsically disordered, like is irreparably damaged, kind of. Yeah. I Eventually, I over, overcame the thought of seeing myself that way. And uh, I just hope others will be able to overcome that. And that is one of my goals, too. When I talk to people, the way you are is not a matter of choice. And if God is a creator, just know it. You are not. You are not in any way a mistake of God. No, you are not. Yes. You are a, if God is the creator, you are a good child of God. Within you, you know your, you know your worth. You know the goodness of uh, in you. Call it God's goodness or call it, you know, your human goodness. You know what is within you. And that is how each person is created. There's no one without his own goodness, you know. Yeah. And it's not a person's sexuality that will take, will take that away. No. Yeah, that's very true. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, how can Christians be more accommodating to the members of the LGBTQ community? And I mean, like, how can also, how can the members of our community be more sensitive and have more empathy to, to the members of the LGBTQ community? Well, you use the word Christian. So let me stay with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Simply become Christ-like. Yeah. One day, Christ was in the middle of a lot of people, and a woman came and started rubbing her legs and his leg, not her leg, yeah. his leg, and wiping it and so on. And some holier than that people said, if he knew the type of this woman touching her, touching him rather. But if Jesus is Jesus, if Jesus is divine, as we claim, he already knew that this woman, people regard her as, as a wayward woman. Yeah. And yet Jesus did allow her to do what she wanted to do and told people, no, just let her be. Then at a point, they said, oh, he's the friend of, of the drums, uh, and the glutons and all this, blah, blah, blah. The people, the society would not interact with. Jesus interacted with them with compassion. Yeah. And that's another way I look at life, trying my best to interact with people with compassion as I expect people to interact with me with compassion. True. Ask what type of encouragement will I want to give Christians in general? I'll say, be Christ-like. Yeah. Either you are Pentecostal, you are Catholic, you are whatever. If you say you are a Christian, it means Christ-like. Someone who behaves like Christ. Yeah. And it all comes down to, to the one law, which is the greatest. Regardless of what book you read, it's love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. That is it. Yeah. 
that sums it up. Now, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that again. So what advice will you give to those of our African brothers and sisters who are still in the closet and extremely terrified of expressing themselves based on their sexual orientation? Um, one, if you recognize yourself, my brothers and sisters listening, who are, who are listening, who are LGBT and who are still in the closet, if you recognize yourself as LGBTQ, you are not mistaken. Maybe a boy of 10 or 8, but from 12 years old, people have come to some level of awareness nowadays about their sexuality. Mm -hmm. If you recognize yourself in such, you're not mistaken. And again, you are not a mistake of God. God who created me, 63 years old, also created you. The universe who gave you the nature of being gay gave me too. The same nature gave it to the heterosexuals. And if it is God, he gave it to the heterosexual as it has been given to you. Don't reject yourself. Secondly, because self-rejection leads to this second point, especially in our African community. It leads to a lot of suffering when we try to conform to the pressure of the society. Yeah. Self-rejection has led some women to marry the men they weren't really attracted to. Mm -hmm. It has led some men to marry women they weren't attracted to. It has led to real suffering of the people we should love. Yeah. The world has really advanced and Day by day, especially in our African community, people are coming to respect your will to choose your own way of life. When I say choose your own way of life, I'm not talking of choosing to be gay or not to be gay. That's never, you can't, you can't choose that. It's not like a shirt, like I got this one yesterday from Bollington. It's not like that. But when it comes to, do you really want to marry? You can choose to. Mm -hmm. or choose not to. Just don't put anyone in any situation that will cause a person to, to suffer all their lives. Yeah. As a priest, I saw that, you know, cases brought to the church of people in marriages that who shouldn't be in, that they shouldn't be in. And the, the woman suffers, the children, the man, in some cases, the man suffers, the children, and the children in particular, but whatever. Family should not be a suffering place, yeah. but a loving place. That's my uh, second uh, uh, advice. And closet, too, the third thing is closet can always breed disease. Mm -hmm. If a closet stays too long in the closet, no matter how new, if it keeps staying in the closet, you can be sure that one day you're going to touch that cloth. Even if the closet is not damp, the, the, the cloth will fade. Mm -hmm. even without you wearing it. Well, for us, closet leads us to dark places, looking for sex where we should not go. And it is the source of, I don't know if, if you go online, you see, especially in Nigeria, during this month of pride, the attack on LGBT people that came from people living in the closet and trying to hook up with people they don't really know. 
Yeah. If we were in open society, if you are in a respective society, and if the people in the LGBT community come to majority come to self acceptance and respect, self respect, there's no nothing hindering two gay people or two lesbians in Nigeria, in Uganda, or anywhere from maintaining a close relationship without necessarily attracting the rich of the community. So closet can lead to all those dangerous encounters which I've seen, I see online that breaks my own heart. Yeah. People getting attacked, people getting killed. Closet can lead to that. Closet is is meant for clothes. And a cloth we are we're not going to wear at a particular time stays there. So come to some level of self acceptance. Yeah. And live with pride. Yes. You will not that one is more honorable and more respectful than staying in the closet and not fearing people to do whatever they will do to you. Whereas you do a lot of things as a person in the closet that could even get you killed. Yeah, so. that's very true. Even though some people who are in the closet do not choose to be in there, you know. And, you know, I believe most of the time it's just the environment that influences them to be, to suppress their willingness to express themselves sexually, you know. And I feel like that's also something that's very rampant in our African community because we have a very hostile environment to even try to accommodate, you know, members of the LGBTQ community. And that's really why I want us to have this conversation and educate and enlighten people and get people to see that people from all walks of life can be members of the LGBTQ community. So far, I've had, you know, doctors, I've had real estate agents, I've had pastors, I mean, former priests, I've had students, you know, I've had activists like you and other people have interviewed, like I've had so many people, so many Africans that I have met on and off record who are members of the LGBTQ community. And unless they say it, I won't even know. So the way I treat them... It's not written on anybody's forehead. Right. So the way I treat them should not be based on who they're sleeping with or who they're attracted to just the same way as I wouldn't want them to treat me bad because I'm, you know, attracted to who I choose to be attracted to, you know, that's just a weird concept, but that's what we do to members of the LGBTQ community. And I really want to urge us to be more considerate and to show more empathy to one another, regardless of our sexual background or orientation. I just really want to thank you so much. For coming on here. I really, really appreciate you um, speaking about your story and giving a different perspective. I can't wait to hear what, you know, the listeners will say about this because we've never had this before. We've never had a former priest who, you know, who is now a member of the LGBTQ community. And I really hope that, you know, you continue to do what you're doing in terms of like supporting and having an impact on the community as a, on humanity as a whole. I want to thank you again for taking this time to have this conversation with me. Thank you for all you do. And I don't know if you have any last words before we wrap up the episode. Well, I do. I want to thank you for what you do. From what you said now, you've spoken with different types of different levels of 
people in LGBT community, doctors, and lawyers, students, uh, probably married people, young and old. That is very, very commendable. Thank the you. courage you, you show. And uh, I don't know, I've not read people's reaction to your podcast, but I won't be surprised if people think you could be a lesbian and that's your... <laughs> that's your yeah, I've seen that. That is yeah. why you are, in a way, sympathetic towards the LGBT community. But no matter what people think, it is very honorable to stand up for the truth and for the security of others anytime. And that is what you're doing. You're yeah. working, you're upholding our truth, and you're working hard for our security. Thank you. Thank you very much. I thank you for that. Thank you so much, sir. Really appreciate having a conversation with you, and it was so much fun and so educative. Thank you so much for everything and I wish you the best and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.